Today, we kick off a new sermon series, as I said, titled With. Have you ever wondered if God is with you, with the city, with your local communities, with the world? As I said, sometimes it feels like God is absent from life, doesn't it? Between COVID, rising gun violence in our cities, buildings collapsing, our oceans on fire, bombs exploding in the Middle East, in Israel, and Palestine, partisan gridlock in our governments, not to mention more personal matters. Unemployment, hunger, housing concerns, healthcare-related issues, and even death. It's a lot. And I get it. It can feel like we're a far cry away from a higher power, a far God is not with us, where we are now. Yet if you hear nothing else to say, hear that the scriptures tell us a different story. In all of these things, when it feels as if the, psalm, as the psalmist writes, we are sheep being led to a slaughter, hear that God holds us close because God is with us and nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. Today, on this 4th of July, we begin a journey with King David and later the prophet Nathan, exploring just exactly what God's faithfulness and God's presence and accompaniment, ever-present love, means for us, God's people in the midst of turmoil. We look at the way that God's continuous care for God's children demands a reorientation in the church, in the world, in our local communities, and the ways that calls us into unity, to wholeness, and to life abundant. Today's passage of scripture tells the story of David's second anointing as king. But I think it begs a little setup, and this whole series really begs a little setup. Because First and Second Samuel, you know, were not written as First and Second Samuel, but were one complete narrative. We remember that for the longest time, our ancestors, the people of Israel, were living as scattered tribes ruled by morally negligent judges. If you want to read a horror story in the Bible, read the book of Judges. <laughs> And from this disunity and this chaos, God begins to make a more excellent way, as God does. Back in 1 Samuel 8, the people ask the prophet Samuel for a king to judge us. Samuel is reluctant to agree to their request. God is the ruler of Israel's people, after all, not a person. And there's also the fact that there'd be so much power in the hands of one person, and not unlike the founding fathers here in the United States so many years ago, they feared this may lead to corruption. But in prayer, God tells Samuel to listen to the people's requests. Be with your people, God says, as I am with my people. And so God sends to the Israelites a ruler from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest of Israelite tribes, a young man named Saul. And he's from the littlest families in the tribe as well. And Samuel blesses Saul and anoints him king. For a while it goes well. Saul seems like the perfect leader. 
maybe a Kennedy at one point, smart and handsome. But we quickly learn that Saul has some character flaws, right? He's dishonest and extremely prideful. Saul starts leading away from the presence of the Lord. He walks away from God and God's people and God's command. So Samuel tells the people that God is going to provide for them a new, more humble king. And that's when we learn about David. David is the youngest of his brothers as well. He's ruddy, he's handsome, he has beautiful eyes, it says. I love how the scripture tells us those little details. But he's humble. Oh, so much more humble than Saul. Maybe you might remember from Vacation Bible School that story with David and Goliath. This is when we first learn, I think, of David's humility. David goes against this giant enemy with a sling and five smooth stones. I wouldn't want to do that. He says, Goliath, you come, to me, come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, with the God of the armies of Israel, with the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And he defeats Goliath. And he, he's made one of the generals in Saul's army. And as Saul turns away from God and God's people, descending into fear and madness, David starts winning battles. His love is praised by Saul's son, Jonathan. His loyalty is lauded by the priests of Nob. David saves the people of Kelah, and the people look up to him more and more because he is with them and he is with God. And this is where our story picks up for today. When Saul dies, hear now the reading from 2 Samuel chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, it is you who shall be shepherd of my people, and you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David and made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was only 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Now, continuing in verse 9, David occupied the stronghold that is Jerusalem and named it the city of David, the holy city of David. David built the city all around from Milo inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David, along with cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. David then perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. 
This is the word of God for us, the beautiful and beloved people of God. Thanks be to God. Now David goes on from here to lead with great prosperity for some time. The first thing I noticed in this story was that unlike most of the anointings, even David's first anointing, because this is the second one, remember, like that of King Saul, it was not done by a prophet or any one person in particular, but what you might consider a bipartisan commission. It's all the tribes of Israel who say, we are your bone and your flesh. We are your kin. We are a part of you. We're your arms and your legs, but we would like you to be our head with God. In unity, they come forward and they humbly seek change. How often does that happen these days? Can y'all name a time? I was struggling. Bipartisan has come to mean that maybe one or two members of an opposing group of of views have compromised somewhat, has voted uh, with the other team, so to speak, at great risk to themselves often. Success on any matter in the church or in government has become a simple majority, 51 to 49. That's not unity, Wayne. That's not unity. That's not peace. That's not hope for change. That's not looking to a future. That's a recipe for a riot. That's a recipe for resentment. That's a recipe for a reversal. And so what does true unity look like and how do we get there? How do we become more like the tribes of Israel in this story? and come together and bestow a blessing on our future, to make a covenant with the leadership to be with them as they are with us and with God, and to have hope for holiness in the future. That's what this anointing of David is about, I think. It's a glimpse at how the holy city of Jerusalem begins to be built, how all our holy cities and communities and kingdoms and worlds are built in the spite of difference. And it reveals to us two answers, I think. The first is faith, right? As as the trust exercise show, it starts with faith. Faith in God and faith in our neighbors and faith in our leaders. Trust is the foundation to possibility. It opens us up to new ideas and new ways of living in the world that we do not have to do things by ourselves. Right, Mary? We've got a team. We have help. And that help, that help, well, it doesn't hurt us. It actually makes us stronger. My partner and I, we recently rewatched the Harry Potter movies. I don't know how many of you all have seen them, but we watched them in order. There's seven of them, eight films. And I was once again struck by how many times Harry, the protagonist, would have failed in taking down his enemy, Voldemort, if it had not been for his friends. <laughs> if it had not been for Ron's loyalty, Hermione's ingenuity, Luna's imagination, Neville's bravery, They would have died getting the Sorcerer's Stone. They would have died in the Chamber of Secrets. And for those who know what I'm talking about, they would have died in that pond in the woods with the sword and the Horcrux so many times. 
It took a team to see and create a new reality. Just like it took all the people of Israel to make a blessing for their future. People have often asked me, you know, like a pastor in training, uh, what's your favorite image of God? And I respond typically with that image of the Trinity. Three in one. It's what we believe as Christians. We're a Trinitarian faith. But I'd much rather sit on a three-legged stool than one with one or two legs, right? I'd much rather go rock climbing with a braided rope of intertwining pieces, three in one, than a piece of string. I trust the team. I trust the Godhead three. I have faith in the unity with the divine. Although David is young, the Israelites say they want David because it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. It was because of David's faithfulness to them and to God that they desired his leadership skills and made a covenant, a promise with him. It was because of his faith and trust for the team that they thought he was the right man for the job. It was also, again, because of his humility. That's two, faith and humility. I gave you an example of this before with Goliath in 1 Samuel. Instead of trusting his own strength to fight the enemy, he worked with God in faith and humbly gave credit where credit was due. Do you give credit where credit is due? The people were tired of pride, particularly Saul's pride. Who in this room is tired of some leader's pride? And I'm not talking about the LGBTQ kind of pride here, a protest or celebration for simply taking up space and existing. I'm talking about pride in the sense of leaders who just have too much ego, who lack the humility and the wisdom to see that people and systems who help them accomplish their goals, who lack the gratitude and the thanks for the blessings in life. There's a proverb that says, pride goeth before the fall. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handles a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Did you notice what David did after the city was built? And the king of Tyre is working to build a house for David. He looks around and goes, wait, I didn't do all this. It was the Lord that established me king over Israel with and for the sake of his people, Israel. Humility and faith. Faith and humility. These are the cornerstones for possibility. Now, as Wayne said, it's not lost on me that today is a federal holiday, Independence Day in the United States. And we know, certainly, that this was not independence for all. I also know that not all worshiping uh, with us online, or even here in the room, live in the United States, or even celebrate U.S. independence. But if you do, I have a challenge for you today. 
a twist on the celebration, if you will, or a day of twists, armbands, twists on celebrations. Instead of celebrating independence this year, the separation, or in addition to our celebrations, consider also celebrating Interdependence Day. Interdependence Day. What would it look like to be like the people of Israel and put a little more faith in God, a little more faith in our neighbors, in our faith leaders, in our elected officials, regardless of party or ideology, just a little, put a little faith. What would it look like to give, for all of us, to find a little more humility, to give more credit to the Lord for our blessings, for the roof over our head, for this sanctuary, for the new job and our sense of security, Maybe it means we show up a little more for people other than ourselves this week. Mary, I heard there was friends at the front door on Tuesday, right? 12 to 2? Show up for more than yourselves this week. Celebrate coming together with God and each other in new ways, with new people, with new voices. Stop idolizing this Western sense of self-sufficiency and be like the people of God, like David here. Be present with the divine. Be present with the divine and each other. After all, we worship a God who is with us. Who came to the earth to be with us in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Died for us, gave us life in abundance. We are stronger with God. We are stronger with close friends. We're stronger with therapists. <laughs> we're stronger with trainers and yoga instructors. We're, str we're stronger with immigrants. Simply put, we're stronger together. As JFK said in his inaugural address, united there is little we cannot do in a host of cooperative ventures. Divided there is little we can do for we dare not meet a powerful challenge at odds and split asunder. With God and each other, the possible becomes possible, and holy cities are built. But it takes a little faith and humility to make it happen. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.